Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today, we are speaking with Rise of the Future winner from which year was it, Scott? I believe it was 2013. So from 2013, Scott T. Barnes. Hello, Scott. Welcome. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. So um, I got very interested and excited about being able to have you as a guest when I was checking online and just seeing this, um, your new myths anthology and your website and working to, to help other writers. And of course, obviously, as a, as a past winner, anything that forwards um, the, the future for the genre itself, I'm always interested in like that. Plus, you've got a very special story that I think will hopefully provide some insight to other aspiring writers on how to deal with uh, various issues that are very real to life and living. So um, first of all, so as I guess we should just come forward from when you were a winner of Writers of the Future back in 2013. So um, how was it then when you won the contest and then brief overview of coming to current? Okay, that's a great question, and it covers a lot of ground. <laughs> it gives you a lot of latitude just to let her rip. Yeah, so I was running through my head on the way up here. Uh, I live in Orange County. Um, you know, what have I done since, since the win? And uh -huh. there's been a number of big projects, a number of small ones. I've been continue to publish short stories. Uh, I have something in uh, Fiction River, which is published by uh, some of the judges here, and uh, various other anthologies. Mm -hmm. um, on the larger project, a couple of interesting things. The first thing when I finished, after I finished the contest, or uh, we had the award ceremony yeah, yeah. and all of that, uh, I started working on a nonfiction book with one of the premier swordsmen in the world. Oh, really? His name is James Williams, and uh, he's he studies samurai arts, but he was a professional kickboxer. And studied pretty much all of the main uh, martial arts throughout the years. And he also uh, trains special forces, even to this day, even though he's in his 70s. Wow. He goes to uh, their various facilities and trains them in weapons combat. So he's just an amazing person. And we uh, decided to write a book together. And that was one of those things which uh, Kevin J. Anderson warned me, uh, be careful being a co-author with someone who's not an author. and uh, But anyway, I uh, did not <laughs> heed the advice. I went into this project, and we actually finished the book. Uh -huh. Got a rough draft, but then he had some personal issues, ended up moving out of California. So this is one of those projects that spent a year of my writing life, which I try to write two hours a day, mm -hmm. uh, and it's sitting in a, a drawer. Oh, no. So it's a little disappointing. I mean, it's a great project. It's really about samurai philosophy. Yeah. And I don't think it's dead, but it's definitely languishing. Um, the second project... Uh, so we lesson learned the hard way. A lesson learned that uh, I, I won't do another project with a non-author. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I learned a lot, and I studied under James as well. So, yeah, because um, I've seen pictures of you. You actually practice some of the martial arts. I do uh, two things, but the Namiru, which is the samurai sword art, and I've been doing that for over 15 years. Uh, I have a, an equivalent to a black belt. It's called Yudansha. And um, I do that, and uh, 
It may not be the most practical thing because I probably won't get in a sword <laughs> duel uh, walking down maybe Hollywood Boulevard, but Possibly probably nowhere Hollywood else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's still uh, a lot of fun. It's very, it fits my personality because it's very meticulous. Uh-huh. You know, a quarter of an inch one way or the other is the difference between winning and, and failing. Wow. Whereas if you're in boxing or something, that's, you know, a really good hit versus not quite such a good hit, but it, it's not the end of the fight. Right. So it, it, it suits me very well. That's good. Um, the second project I took on, which was uh, major, um, I need deadlines. It's hard for me to set deadlines, so I signed up for the Stanford Online Writing Workshop, two-year program. Uh, you're supposed to start with an idea and finish a novel. Now, L. Ron Hubbard would have thought that was an incredible amount of time. He could have produced 20 novels, <laughs> yeah. but not me. And, yeah. I, and uh, anyway, I, I finished a novel, and it was fabulous because I got to work one-on-one with Lauren Kate, who wrote the Fallen series and a number of other series, a mm-hmm. big bestseller. And she was great. She uh, guided me through it, a lot of rewrites, and, uh, but didn't try to make it you know, her novel. Right. Kept it all related to what I was doing. And um, when we finished, and I decided I had one more rewrite, I wanted to read it out loud, as I always do for the final rewrite, make the final edits, I realized that my third project needed to get done, and that was an oral history of my dad. I had done one years ago f- uh, for my grandmother, because uh-huh. um, we're from a small town in California called Julian, and our family history very much parallels the development of that town. And uh, I just realized my dad's getting older. His health is not perfect. I've got to get this done. Uh, My first interview with him was from 1995, if you can believe that. Wow. On an old cassette tape. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of interviews, put it together, also interviewed his sister. And that's now done except for the photos. Um, And I'm trying to get it published, self-published, of course, uh, because, you know, the audience is the local Right. Local people, right. Um, hopefully by Christmas. Okay. So those are the three major uh, projects, writing projects that I've been doing besides short stories and, and uh, of course, my magazine. Right. So now, on um, before you address your magazine, you have a specific um, thing I think that other people might be able to, uh, <clears throat> to learn from or to, to gain from, and that's your special issue, uh, how to deal with um, family exigencies to proceed with a career as a writer. Can you discuss that, please? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked, and I wanted to talk about that today. Um, every writer finds it difficult to find writing time. Uh, very few people just are able to write full-time, and I set aside two hours a day to do it. Thankfully, my job is, is flexible enough that if I get everything done, I can set my own hours. Right. So I, w- I would write from 8 to 10 every day. Is but, that morning or evening? Morning. Okay. I'm I'm best in the morning. Right. Um, and uh, I have a family. I have two daughters, age eight and ten. And uh, unfortunately, back in January, my uh, oldest daughter got a long-term illness, and uh, it was just a regular cold that they don't know for sure, but they think it got into her brain and uh, caused some damage. And we had no idea what was happening. Uh, she started by getting very bad tummy aches. And people don't understand what that means. But, I mean, 
could be an hour of writhing around screaming, you know, make it stop, make it stop. I mean, it was very difficult. It's difficult to talk about, in fact. Um, And uh, no one knew what was happening. And eventually people's, you know, various doctors started saying, well, this is anxiety, you know, essentially saying it's all in her head. And we could tell it wasn't all in her head. Right. Uh, but I guess anxiety can be pretty bad. And, uh, but we're, we're just thinking, what, how can this be? This, she's very happy. She says she's happy. We take her to a private school. There's no bullying. We've checked on all of that. Her home life is very good. Anyway, only about three weeks ago from this interview, uh, we got a diagnosis of something called POTS. Like, it's easy to remember because it's like you're smoking pot. Yeah. And uh, it means postural orthostatic ticardia syndrome. And uh, what that means is your nervous system is sending the wrong signals to your cardiovascular system. So just think about this. Normally when you stand up or even sit up or anything, the blood should just pool to your feet. It's a liquid. Gravity pulls it down, but right. it doesn't because your veins and arteries contract and keep it up. Right. But with someone who has POTS, the brain doesn't send that signal. And so uh, if everything's working fine, which it does sometimes, it's as if my daughter's completely healthy. But the other times, the blood drains away from her head. She tries to sit up. She gets incredibly dizzy, headaches, nausea. And if she doesn't lie back down very quickly, uh, she can faint. She hasn't fainted yet. Um, she's a moderate case. It's called a, the severe case is people faint multiple times per day. Wow. So it's a, it, it's a kind of a rare thing, but not all that rare. Um, we were fortunate to find a doctor. Well, there, there were two doctors we found, uh, one at uh, Scripps mm-hmm. who had was not accepting any new patients. And they said, well, call back in six months and we'll put you on the waiting list. How long is that? Well, a year and a half. But my wife is very good and managed to find a doctor <laughs> who just moved to town. So he didn't have a lot of patients and got us in there. Um, but it's tough. It's very tough. We got the diagnosis. There's no cure. But generally... Uh, people's bodies eventually cure themselves in eight to 10 years. Wow. So that's the situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So then what does this do for you? I'm, maybe it started impinging on you in January when we first started and then three weeks ago with the, with the actual diagnosis. Mm-hmm. How does that affect you then as a writer? How does it, Is it more inspirational or is it more of a distraction or are you able to channel that? Or Yeah, I think in the long run – that uh, it will be, I don't know about inspirational, but all these experiences add to the richness of of writing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I felt emotions I didn't know I was capable of. Um, uh, Yeah, so that's certainly true. But in the the present, it definitely impinges on things. I mean, um, I noticed that um, it was really, fortunately, my wife's a stay-at-home mom. So that helped a lot, mm-hmm. but she's kind of become a caregiver. So my daughter is almost bedridden at this point. It's been getting worse and worse. And um, 
I noticed that she was getting very down, and I had to do something about that. Right. Because you can't have a depressed wife and a sick child. It's too much. So I ended up uh, saying, I'm going to stay home. You take my youngest daughter, who's eight, to school, and I'll just stay home, and then you do something for yourself and come home at 1030. So she generally goes and works out. I'm a huge advocate for exercise therapy. Right. Yeah. Happy to talk about that. Yeah. Generally, she works out, you know, for an hour. She's only thinking about the pain of her muscles instead of anything else. Right. And then it comes back. And um, sometimes she goes out to breakfast with a friend, whatever she needs. And I'll stay there until she gets back. But that's my riding time, which means my riding time has dwindled to a few minutes here and a few mm. minutes there. Um, but you have to, for, obviously, you have to take care of your children first. Yeah. And um, then you have to take care of yourself. And uh, so I, uh, I try to do that and um, not feel too guilty about it. And that's really important. Um, and, and so I've learned a few lessons about trying to get things done while you have something like this. And let me say that I, I like theories. I right. develop theories, and I'm fine to, when I find out they're wrong, I just come up with a new theory. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this uh, has led me to believe just about everyone my age, I'm now 51, is one degree away from a major illness. If it's not you... It's someone in your family or it's your best friend or something. Because once you have one in your family, you start talking to people and you find out this is not a unique experience. Right. So many people, including one of the, my volunteers at my magazine, um, you know, share this experience. And um, so like one of the lessons I've learned, which was a hard one for me, is that uh, optimism was my enemy. Um, it's, it's good to retain hope. I mean, I'm a Christian and I have faith and I have long-term hope that my daughter's going to be fine and she's a fighter. She'll, she'll make it. Mm -hmm. But this roller coaster of she's feeling good today. It's good. She's going to be able to go to school. And then, oh, the teacher calls. She has to come home from school and it just crashes. That, that will kill you. Mm -hmm. You cannot allow your mind to be on a roller coaster. And so I had to kill optimism. I have to be on a straight, even keel. And it's actually made everything a lot easier, even as my daughter's been getting worse lately, um, because I don't expect anything except for long-term. Long-term, right. I have complete faith that she's going to be better. Right. But if she has a bad day, that's, that's what happened today. And um, that really has been a big lesson. And so finding time, though, is, is uh, hard. And I think the first thing, if someone is in this situation, is just to consider s stopping. Because the first thing you have to do is take care of your family, mm -hmm. and then you got to take care of yourself. And it may be too much for your mind to feel guilty about not writing, not getting anything done. And, but I have to do these other things. I have these more important responsibilities. It may be better just to stop for a year or something and say, okay, I'll pick this up again. But if you can find the time, then I would recommend 
taking uh, bite-sized projects, projects that you can finish, such as a short story for Writers of the Future or a short story that you're going to submit if you've already done Writers of the Future somewhere else, you know, Analog or Asimov or my magazine. Right. Uh, take on things that you can actually accomplish and feel good about and not feel guilty that I didn't get my two hours of writing in today. Yeah. What I meant when I, when I said, just to make sure I don't sound like a total cat on this, I'm going to say inspirational, <laughs> you know, about your daughter being sick, is, is sometimes um, a person can realize that there's other people in similar straits that can then, with your story, to help them to deal with theirs. Because you've got more strength to deal with things because of your faith, because you do have the, the wife that you have and your other daughter who's doing quite well. So you're in, a, you're in a situation that perhaps can lend some support to others who maybe don't feel quite as secure in their position with, with a similar circumstance. That's what I meant by that. So um, the, the whole thing on writing short, short fiction, I know that short fiction, you're talking about two years, your project in, to write the novel, but short stories, when you, one, of the, one of the things that you do in Writers of the Future is you have that 24-hour story. So... You know, to be able to keep your hand in the craft while dealing with the uh, the circumstances, because um, also be because that's also creativity. Uh, yeah, I agree completely. I um, I just finished a short story, which I'm going to put in my own anthology, and that was a nice little break for my mind. Uh huh. Because this, you know, this sort of thing takes a large bandwidth out of your your mind. That I totally believe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I when when I was. Uh, being optimistic and then you know having the crashes uh-huh. um i found it was hard to remember things it was hard to do fairly simple math uh, because such a such a big part of my brain was occupied with this you know worry mm-hmm. um but you know I've, I've been able to manage that a lot better and uh take doing that short story for a couple of weeks i just put I just spent two weeks on it because uh-huh. um, I've learned to be a lot faster. It was, uh, <laughs> uh, was a great mental break from everything else. And, yeah. And uh, it was nice. Yeah. I mentioned earlier before this interview with uh, one of our winners last year, Wolf Moon, his, right. um, his story about that girl, that super-duper moon girl, um, about a girl who was uh, disabled from... Uh, terrorist attack in her school, and then she's now living on the moon with uh, an AI dog that helps her give breathing support. He himself also has uh, long-term physical issues, and that it was like a that was a story he wrote literally in 24 hours, the last day of the contest, the last day of the last quarter, you wow. know, and submitted it. <clears throat> and um, but that was like from the heart. That's that was a real communication from him. And so a lot of other people have been able to relate to that because of their own issues with having, you know, personal disabilities as well. So that's why I was really excited to be able to talk to you about this because of other people that are having to deal with, like you said, you're one degree away. Absolutely. You know, so it's important somebody else get this and know that, okay, one, you're not alone, but two, it is possible to go ahead and, and survive and lead a, a good life while dealing with, you know, your, your issues. I agree completely. Yeah. I, I heard that podcast. That's a yeah. very good one. Yeah. And um, I have not read a story, but I plan to. Yeah. But yeah, and, and you mentioned inspiration, and I did not take that poorly at all. That's absolutely true. I, 
someday a story will come to me uh-huh. because of this 100%. Yeah. And um, it'll be richer than anything I could have written before. And it probably won't be about pots, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that's the way the imagination works. Sure. It mixes three or four different things and you come up with, you know, a curse or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but it's going to be because of this experience for sure. Yeah. So now you you mentioned your uh, your um, online your your website. You've got you know stories that you said will be something in your magazine. So let's talk now about um, your new myths anthology and your website and more about that because you've created this whole other world of 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 stories for other authors to contribute as well as what you're uh, able to do yourself. And I've seen some of our past. Winners in there, yeah, absolutely. I've used, uh, I, I have purchased stories from past winners and also artwork from some of your graduates, mm-hmm. um, uh, Fiona Yang. Yeah, I hope I re- I'm saying her last name right. I call her Fiona because we become friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I think I think we're going to use her in March of next year. Anyway, we're we're definitely going to buy her latest uh, artwork if she'll she's willing to sell it to us. Yeah. Um, any case, so yeah, I, if you don't mind, I, I have three different kind of websites, sure. projects, uh, scotttbarnes.com, so it's my name, Scott, and with an extra T, and then barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S.com. And that's where I list what I'm working on and my own projects. Right. Um, the next is would be New Myths Publishing, N-E-W-M-Y-T-H-S, publishing.com, which is Things like this anthology uh-huh. and uh, everything except the magazine that's coming out, including uh, some other people's work. And then my, my magazine, newmiss.com, which I've been doing for over 10 years. It's a semi-pro magazine, which just means um, we pay a little less than Analog or Asimov's or something. Right. Um, it's online, and we publish four times a year. And thankfully, as you can probably tell, I try to do too many things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have a couple of um, volunteers, although I, I pay one of them something that help with the uh, with help with the magazine. Mm-hmm. Martha Terrenculu, and especially uh, Susan Shell Winston, who really is at the helm at the moment. Right. Um, so we publish quarterly. What fiction. kind of stories do you publish? Yeah. So I publish things that I like, and and I have an eclectic. That works. <laughs> I have an eclectic taste. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, the best for a large scale circulation, but I try to have you know some fantasy, some science fiction, some science fantasy, some hard science fiction, some high fantasy. A nice. It's all in a speculative fiction. It's all speculative zone, fiction. Yeah. That's the that's the main requirement, um, and I like to keep it you know PG or or sure. less. Um, we share that reality with Rise of the Future as well. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it's family-friendly. And uh, I publish about six long fiction, three or four flash fiction, even some nonfiction if it's related to speculative writing. Right. And poetry. We actually are one of the top <clears throat> markets for speculative poetry in the country. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's because I pay a, a flat fee, and most people pay by the word. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out it's a lot per word if you just pay a flat fee. Yeah. Um, and I love it. I have some of the best poets who've won all kinds of awards submitting 
to the magazine. So that's very fun. Oh, that's great. So, so if somebody then wants to submit to New Myths, what do they do? How does one go about that? So go to newmyths.com. It's uh, our website, and there's a submission form. Um, it's supposed to be automated, and uh, it's sometimes working and sometimes doesn't. I have a, a, a really good tech person who is, has too much in common with me. He also has taken on too many projects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when it doesn't work, you can, uh, you can email the submissions. Um, there are two reading periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's January 1 to the end of February and June 1 to the end of July. Um, I used to read all year. It was just too, too much. Yeah. And uh, so it has to be in those periods. And um, we get a lot of submissions. I have forgotten the figure, but um, it's not like Writers of the Future, but it may be uh, something like a thousand for every we, everyone we actually take. It's a it's a big number, but if you write well, you will eventually get in, and yeah. you pay a penny and a half a word. Well, all right. So now, how's the person? If is it a subscription base, or is it like one off? You you go to it and just have to download each time it comes out, or how does that work? How's the person actually get it to read it? Right now, um, it, you just read it online, and you can uh, certainly read it on your phone. It's um, I forget what you call it, but it's do you say optimized for phone yeah. reading and so forth? Yeah. yeah. So, so people just come and they read it. And is it a? Do you have to pay for it? It's free. It's wow, free, yeah. that's awesome. It's uh, yeah. It's been a money pit, frankly. Although we uh, we recently came out with an anthology, and we did a Kickstarter, which was very successful. In fact, we surpassed our goal by about double, and uh, decided to do an audio version um, with the extra proceeds. Oh, that's good. So that's so, this one here in front of me, passages. Yeah. So I brought this along, um, and it's. Um, on our 10-year anniversary, we wanted, we wanted to do something special, so we decided to publish uh, an anthology, Best Of, plus we included some new fiction. Um, so we had, had people submit specifically for the theme of the anthology, which is passages from one stage in life to another. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so the, the ver- four various stages in life, including on into old age and beyond. And um, just flipping through, I just know what's there's a story here called You Can Catch Almost Anything, a can trip <laughs> by this guy named uh, Scott T. Barnes. What's that story about? <laughs> Believe it or not, it's the first story I ever put in my own magazine. I um, have always reserved it for other people's writings, uh-huh. uh, probably in the beginning because I wasn't confident enough that I that I'd earned my place there, right? Um, but I think I'm going to do more now because I. I've sold enough that I, I feel good about just putting it in and not, uh, you know, that, that's okay for me to do now. For sure. But, um, yeah, that's a coming-of-age story, and I'm, I'm quite proud of it. It came out very well. It's set in India, or at least a fictional India. <laughs> and I love exploring a new cultures, new things, and mm-hmm. um, trying to do stories that are unique in some way that... I think it's kind of impossible to be completely unique. If it was, no one would read it because it would be so bizarre. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but something that I, I've never seen before, and this story set in in India, which is it's somewhat humorous. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you uh, have ever been snipe hunting, or you know what that is, sure, it's a fantasy take on the old snipe hunt, and uh, I think it came out quite well. Oh, that's good. I mean, it's always that's a fun concept there's so many different variations on that theme yeah 
Definitely. So, um, so on, the, on, those, on those lines, yeah. we have two more uh, anthologies scheduled to come out. And after that, we're going to evaluate. And uh, the next one is Twilight Worlds. Mm-hmm. And we're almost done editing it. Um, not sure if it will come out this year. That was the plan, but uh, because of what we discussed earlier, yeah, I don't have enough time. We may have to push back push it back till ne- a first quarter next year. But it's about kind of the end of a world or the beginning of a new world and uh, stories along that theme. I think it's going to be really good. So it's, again, that's speculative fiction, or is it mostly... Uh, Christian fic, or how's that? It's all speculative fiction. I, I um, don't specifically write or, or you know, uh, solicit Christian fiction. I'm happy yeah. to get it. Yeah. But no, it's uh, anyone's welcome to put in their stories. Yeah. I get it. So, if someone wants to get passages, how do, how would you find it? How would you be able to get it? Uh, it's available on Amazon and should be on the other platforms as well. Oh, good. Or yeah. on your website, they can go there. And is it linked to Amazon? I think it just links to Amazon. Okay. Yeah. I, it's called Passages by Scott T. Barnes. That will definitely pull it up for you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So on, um, so we've talked. You said so. We got your personal website, scotttbarnes.com. Right. And then there's newmyths.com, which is the website where you can get this book, but you can also read all the stories in here. Is that how does that work? Scott, the uh, the new miss. So the new miss uh, website is the magazine. That's the magazine that has diff- that's different stories. Well, it's true that uh, probably two thirds of these stories, if you went out and sought them out, are available for free on the on the uh, website. You'd have to go through the past issues and do a through lot of ten clicks. years worth of yeah yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you want wanted to go through the trouble of that and not buy the anthology, you well, I wasn't it. implying that. I was just <laughs> was your, this is a different set of stories or the best of that plus other best. It was the best of here. that. Um, again, we we what we did with uh, Susan Shell Winston and Martha Terwankula, we went through all of the old stories, and we just selected what we thought were the best, and then looked for a theme. Mm-hmm. And we ended up coming up with three three themes, the first one being passages, the second one being twilight, twilight Worlds. And the third one I don't want to mention because I don't remember the exact catchy name we came up with. But <laughs> uh, that's why I'm sure they're going to uh, be three of these. But after right. that, we'll we'll just have to see. Yeah, but the first one right now is passages that people can find and, and can read. Correct. And sets you up for volume two because it says Best of New Miss Anthology, volume one. Right, yeah. Good. Now, do you have any uh, social presence, social media, that somebody can uh, find you or your new miss? I don't do nearly enough. In fact, the new miss one is uh, completely languishing. Uh, I do have a Facebook page, Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just Scott T. Barnes. Uh, And it's not a specific author page. Uh, It has everything, but I will definitely... uh, Accept your friend request if you go on there. <laughs> okay, good. So the main w- way to find you and your work is with the uh, newmissanthology.com or scotttbarnes.com. That's right. That's where you prefer to be found. And and uh, so if somebody wants to reach you or reach out to you, then... They can definitely email me through that. Um, okay. Admin at newmiths.com is a good, web- is a good email. Okay. So, so um, in terms of just communicating then to other aspiring writers since as a winner of Writers of the Future, you had your curve that got you up to being a winner and then it's, you're, 
your writing life has proceeded as we've discussed this last half hour. Any other tips or advice that you that you could give to aspiring writers? Yeah, so um, depending on where you are, but if you are just starting out, no question, writers of the future. If you're in speculative fiction, is uh, you know the best uh, thing you can try to win. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I did once I decided, well, I'd heard about it and talked to some people just to verify it was legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I recommend, you know, do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I submitted almost every quarter for three years. And uh, it's great because, as I said, I do better with deadlines. fixed deadlines. Yeah. And a Kevin goal. Anderson was the same way. Was he? Yeah. Well, he must have a clock for his deadline now because yeah. <laughs> he, he produces a lot. A lot. Uh, but... Um, yeah, and it worked for me. I know I was finishing a good short story every quarter. I ended up getting an honorable mention for one, which honestly was almost as important as the win. Because when I got the win, I didn't feel it was a fluke. Mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, you know, I almost made it before. So this is, I have some talent. This is not a one off. So that was really important to me. Yeah, two other people too that I've talked to Joe Hill okay. was an honorable mention. And Brandon Sanderson, and they both said it made a big difference for them in their careers to help, okay, you're on the right path, you know? So it totally makes sense because I've heard it from others as well as saying the importance of that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great, a great path. Um, if you don't mind, I, I can do a shout out to the Odyssey Fantasy Writing mm-hmm, Workshop. For sure. That's a, a six-week residency mm-hmm. in uh, New Hampshire. I did that before Writers of the Future. That's kind of where I asked about Rise of the Future, if it was legit yeah. and so forth. And that the teacher there is great. Jean Caballos has been a publisher. She's, she was an astrophysicist. She's written fiction and nonfiction. And that'll really kickstart your, your abilities. Right. Writers of the Future, if you, if you win, they're going to kickstart your career. But they assume if you've won, you, you're a pretty good writer already. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, and that's and that's what the judges will say because now we have the three judges that do the the primary workshop. We got Orson Scott Card, Tim Powers, and Dave Wolverton. Now, now he writes as Dave Farland, right? And they say we assume that you're a writer. Now we're going to give you the fine tune as a writer and introduction to the industry. And you know, I run into those three people at conferences now and then, and you know, they remember me. They're friendly. It's it's kind of a big family almost yeah and uh, the the follow-up that we get you know this podcast and other things is so much more than i've seen anywhere else yeah it's important i mean it's part of the legacy of elron hubbard that he to create this he continues to fund it you know, long since his passing but he put it in his will to make sure that this contest go on because he saw the importance of specifically science fiction because it's it's the future people writing about the postulating a you know a future that it's hopefully better than the, the past or the present, you know, that, that humanity will survive and will survive better. And science fiction does provide a lot of that um, inspiration. I, I don't know, when you had your awards ceremony, who was the keynote speaker? Do you remember? I don't remember the keynote speaker. I know Dave Wolverton actually handed me my award. Uh-huh. Um, but each year we, we try to have either an astrophysicist, yeah. uh, an astronaut, a, somebody who was inspired by science fiction to give them 
a direction that they wanted to go for in life, and that's and that's a key part of what this is what this is all about. And that's why a lot of the different essays also that are studied in the workshop, we've recently had. Um, we're creating an online writing course for Writers of the Future right now mm-hmm. for aspiring writers. And we just recently had Tim Powers and uh, Dave Farland here to record um, interviews talking about it. And we talked about the essays um, that they teach in the class that were written by Owen Hubbard back in the 40s. And they're saying that they're just as applicable now as they were back then because they're just basic truths about creative writing, how to write, and how to make a living as an author. I don't know if there's, do you remember any of the different essays that you studied at all? I agree completely. And in fact, I, I ended up buying the entire uh, selection of Writers of the Future anthologies mm-hmm. and um, reread volume one because I had read that when it first came out. Wow. And then volume two, and there's a couple of essays in there. And I agree completely. They are as applicable today as whenever they when were, they were written, first yeah. written. Yeah. Way back when. Yes. Very much so. And I think especially, I mean, L. Ron Hubbard was what Dean Wesley Smith would call a high production writer. Yeah. He wrote a lot of words fast. And um, if you intend to do that and to be a professional writer rather than um, I have one story I ever want to tell, then there it's just gold. Yeah. It's just gold, yeah. Yeah, Dean talk, definitely talks about that. And um, there's a few different writers that, Kevin Anderson too, when he was, you know, because he novelized one of uh, Owen Hubbard's screenplays, Iperito. He talked about trying to meet that production output that he does because um, a lot of stuff he sold 92% first draft, first submission that he submitted, to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, um, but he also, he wrote millions of words. And so mm-hmm. he said, you know, throw away your first million words. You know, just, you got to, so he built up his style. So he was able to do there and just, see and he composed as he was writing the whole thing when we proofread some of his uh, stories from the golden age books that we republished from his pulp mm-hmm. fiction stories from the 30s and 40s i'm proofreading it sometimes i get to a page and go like wait i just finished reading this but it just stops and it st- goes back a page what he would do is he would if he because that was before the days of having a computer where he could then just erase and go back and reformat right so he just put another piece of paper and go back half a page or so and pick up the action from right there and then type through and make his edit that way. And oh, like redrafting. Yeah. Again, as uh, Chris the Rush go, and yes. Wesley, Wesley Smith recommend rather than revising. Yeah. They recommend you kind of start over and redraft. Yeah. And so that's yeah. what he did. And so that's, uh-huh. I mean, they just, I mean, one of the little anecdotal, they were the first um, Romance, Rise of Future Romance. They met at the first workshop. That's how Dean and, and uh, Chris met. Oh, I had no first, idea. In Taos, New Mexico, the first Rise of Future workshop. Wow. That's where they met. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was, he was the very first person to be awarded for Riders of the Future, the first person to get okay. their award in, at, way back in volume one. Anyway, there's Rise of the Future nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else that you can say for, uh, or any other? Thoughts or comments for uh, aspiring writers? I know some people like to um, procrastinate and um, never submit the story or it's not good enough or the self-doubt or various things. Any any comments about that? That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, 
let me touch on on the redrafting, revising right. thing. Okay, good. Um, because we uh, we brought it up. Um, I think that um, it's important to move on. You know, you 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 write your story as well as you can now. Uh huh. Understanding that a year from now you might look back and think that's kind of shoddy. Yeah. But this is where you are now, and you do your best. And then you have to understand when it's time to move on. Right. Uh, instead of revising, 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 and people say, well, when? When do I know when to stop revising? And uh, I think it's, it's when you're just tinkering. When you're just tinkering about, I'm going to move this word here, and I'm going to move this here, and, <laughs> and uh, maybe this sentence would sound better down here. Not that you shouldn't do some of that, but when you realize that's what I'm doing right now, and I'm spending hours and hours and hours doing nothing but that, it's time to put it down and start your next one. And your next one will be better. You learn more by writing new mm-hmm. than you do by tinkering with your current So project. just submit what you write and then get going again? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't advocate just one draft and send it in because I'm not good enough to do that. But I advocate aspiring to that. Right. Every writer should have the goal that their first draft – is near perfect, and you're going to send it in. Because if, you, if that's your goal, you're going to start writing better and faster and spending less time tinkering around. And you may never get there, but that is, that's a worthy goal that will set you on the right path for your whole career. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense, and that's good. And, and hopefully anybody listening to this thing here is going to – gotten we've covered so many topics here way more than what i thought i was gonna be able to uh gain from this interview with you so um any other last little things you'd like to say before we uh, end off this interview you know what i used to uh, interview for jobs before i got the, the now I, I work uh for essentially my own company uh-huh uh, and that was my most hated question on every job interview. <laughs> I never know what to say. <laughs> so okay. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, well, good. So people know how to find you. They know how to find your book. They know why they should read it. And uh, hopefully they've been inspired by some of the things we talked about. So thank you very much, Scott. I really appreciate it, John. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. 